0: helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, 5 Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. forward slash class and save your seat. Hi
1: there. Today we are talking about moderation. Some of the questions I hear more than anything else are around the idea of either, why can't I drink, quote unquote, like a normal person, meaning drink once a week, drink every other week and have like two drinks at a time, or Once some women have gone a period of time without alcohol, and I have to admit, I did this myself, I had a year alcohol free, I came back and said, Okay, well, now I've reset. Now I can moderate this time. It won't be a problem because I've got more tools and I'm in a separate place and I've had a break from it. And in no time at all, I was back to a bottle of wine a night every night. That was the way I drank. And not only that, part of what confuses people about moderation is a lot of people can only have two drinks once or twice or every once in a while. And then at other times, they really get to the point where they can't. They're always holding on to, well, I don't drink too much every single time. I'm excited to have this conversation since it comes up so often. My guest today is William Porter. I had him on once earlier, and it is one of my most popular episodes. It's called Alcohol Explained. And William Porter is the author of the books Alcohol Explained and Alcohol Explained 2, Tools for a Stronger Sobriety. He lives with his wife and two young children in London. He's a solicitor and previously served with the 4th Volunteer Battalion of the Parachute Regiment. And we'll talk a lot more about the work he does, so I'm just going to welcome him. William, thank you for coming back on the show.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me back.
1: Yeah. Well, let's just dive in and talk about moderation. I know that you said as well that moderation is an issue that just constantly comes up.
2: The problem is with it, when we're drinking, we tend to drink more and more, and it becomes more and more problematic. But of course, the issue is less with the problems it causes, and it's why we want to keep doing it. Because as it causes more problems, it also moves from being a pleasure to being a necessity. And we start developing very deeply our beliefs about it. I, people think to themselves, I want to stop drinking, but then I think, oh, I'm going on vacation, I'm going on holiday next week. I can't possibly do that without drinking. And then they start thinking, well, how can I go out on my birthday? What about Thanksgiving? What about this and this and this? And there's so many parts of their life, they just can't believe they can enjoy them without a drink. They're kind of between a rock and a hard place because on the one hand, they want to stop. But on the other hand, they've forgotten how to enjoy life without a drink. They think it's impossible. They try to come up with this third way, which is moderation. It's Well, that's okay because for most of us, we remember a time when we drank a lot less and it was it was effort-free. We just did it. No one starts drinking a bottle of wine every night. They start off on lower amounts. We kind of have this thought, oh, I remember the time when I could take it or leave it. And then we look around and there's a lot of people out there who also can seemingly take it or leave it. That becomes the goal because we can't bear the thought of living life without alcohol We look for this kind of this compromise this third way.
1: Yeah. And I know I did that for years. Literally, I would say to myself in my head, I have to get a hold of this so that I never have to stop drinking. Like quitting drinking completely or not drinking again was my absolute worst case scenario. Mm. I was like, I got to get this under control because I knew it was going nowhere good. And a lot of times when I talk to women that I work with in private coaching, they go back to, well, it wasn't always this bad. It used to be fun. And I'm always like, okay, how long ago was that? Like, And they were like, well, 10 years, 5 years, 20 mm. years sometimes. And I want to talk with you about how that changes and why.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'll go through now the basic chemical physiology, because I think that's a really good starting point. And I think one of the key things here is what people do when they try and moderate, what they often do is it works for a bit and then they fail, it doesn't work. They try again and again and again. They end up seeing it as some kind of personal failing. It's me, I'm weak, I have something wrong, what's wrong with me? It's. I think it's very empowering to understand that it's not you, it's the alcohol. Alcohol is... A depressant, it's a sedative. Okay, so when I'm using the word depressant, I'm using it in its chemical sense as something that reduces or inhibits nerve activity. That's why you feel slightly dulled when you have a drink. The problem really comes in, is in with the human brain because the human brain creates and excretes a huge array of chemicals, drugs, and hormones that it naturally produces. People would have heard of many of these things like endorphins, dopamine, adrenaline, cortisol. These are all chemicals, drugs, hormones that the brain creates and puts into your system. Now, there's a huge amount we human beings don't understand about this process. We are understanding it really is in its infancy. But what we do know is the brain works by way of something called homeostasis, which is essentially a delicate chemical balance of all these chemicals, drugs, and hormones. When you introduce something like alcohol, which is a sedative, your brain tries to counter it. It's your brain reacting to a poison, taking steps to counter a poison. And it does this in lots and lots of different ways. But what it amounts to is it becomes oversensitive. If you imagine it like a weighing scale, one of those old-fashioned bar weighing scales where you've got like a basket on each side and a bar in the middle. If you imagine on one side, you've got sedatives, depressants, and on the other side, you've got stimulants. If it's perfectly balanced, you feel good. You feel generally quite positive and quite resilient. If you lump a load on the sedative side, the sedative side drops, so your brain seeks to counter it by lumping a load on the stimulant side. The problem then is the alcohol wears off the stimulant side goes up, and that's why we get anxiety, that anxious feeling you get after drinking it's a chemical is a chemical source to it. you know another way of putting it is for every action there is an equal opposite reaction, so whatever relaxing effect you get from alcohol. You get a corresponding feeling of anxiety when it wears off. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is also why we wake up at three or four in the morning after drinking. We may be absolutely exhausted. Our body's crying out for sleep. But we can't sleep because we've got this massive imbalance There's loads of stimulants. It's like drinking eight jugs of strong black coffee and trying to sleep after it. That's
1: the like you wake up at 3 a.m. after the alcohols come out of your system and your mind's racing and you feel awful and you can't fall back. It's
2: accelerating. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, that
1: was like every day of my life. I even went to my doctor and was like, I have insomnia because my job's so stressful And she prescribed me Ambien. Then I was drinking a bottle of wine a night with Ambien. Of course, I didn't tell her how much I was drinking. But
0: yeah, that was a really dangerous thing to do. Oh, my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head-on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media. But the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com dot com with promo code hello that's happy m-a-m-m-o-t-h dot com and use promo code hello for 15 percent off your first order
2: yeah a lot of people don't they don't link it to the alcohol but it is absolutely the alcohol that's doing it yeah this is the scary thing and a lot of people won't like to hear this but this is alcohol withdrawal a lot of people think of alcohol withdrawal is just the- delirium tremens and the extreme, you know, when you're hospitalized and have seizures, that's the extreme side of it. Yeah, But withdrawal isn't all or nothing. There's a corresponding smaller amount as you drink less. And a lot of people say, well, no, surely that can't be alcohol withdrawal. But if you define withdrawal as, this is how I define it anyway, it's an unpleasant feeling caused by a chemical imbalance that is itself caused by the previous dose of the drug wearing off. Mm -hmm. That is alcohol withdrawal. Now, the point here to make, so we've got that basic concept in place, that alone does not make addiction, in inverted commas, because what happens, the more you drink, the more proficient your brain comes at countering the alcohol. You're able to drink more. That's what tolerance is and why you can drink more over the years. So you're able to drink more. You need to drink more to get the same effect. And the withdrawal gets worse. Because if you have a small glass of wine, your brain's compensating a small glass of wine, the anxiety you get afterwards is going to be really small. You might not even notice it. But if you're drinking a bottle or two, it's correspondingly increased. Mm -hmm. So anyone who ever drank alcohol has withdrawal. But for most people, it's really minor and they don't even notice it. What causes, in inverted commas, addiction is actually a learned process because Let's say you have a couple of glasses of wine and it wears off leaving an unpleasant feeling. There's lots, this unpleasant feeling is almost like when you have too much caffeine. You feel slightly anxious, slightly on edge. You can't quite focus on things. It's not a nice feeling. There's lots and lots of reasons in life why we might feel like that. You might have stress at work. You might have problems with your partner. You might have worry troubles. You might just sometimes we just wake up and don't feel right. We don't never really know what it is. Most of the time when you have these unpleasant feelings, you just get on with things. You just crack on because that's what you have to do. People will drink some wine. They'll have this unpleasant feeling. They'll either sleep through it. It will disrupt their sleep. They'll sleep through it. There may be a residual feeling there the next morning, but they just carry on with their lives. But what happens when you're drinking regularly over an extended period, your brain, and particularly your subconscious, starts to make a connection. And the connection it makes is there's a specific unpleasant feeling that kicks in when one glass of wine or one drink wears off. And the answer to that is to have another drink. Because if you think about it, you feel unpleasant because your brain is geared up to work under the sedating effects of the alcohol, but the alcohol has gone. If you go back to the weighing scales, the stimulant side is weighed down really heavily. In taking another drink, that's the quickest way to redress the balance. When you take that other drink, you're lumping a load back on the depressant side and correcting the balance. Your brain's geared up to work under the sedating effects of the alcohol, but the alcohol's gone. When you reintroduce alcohol, you feel a whole world better really quickly. And over the days, weeks, months, and years, your brain starts to make that connection. And what it learns is when one drink wears off, there's an unpleasant feeling that needs another drink to relieve it. When you learn that, and I hasten to add again and really emphasize this, it is not a personal failing, it's learned behavior. And anyone it happens to anyone who drinks enough alcohol. But the point here is when one drink wears off, it creates the desire for the next one. It's not like food. If you're really hungry and you want a pizza or a burger and you eat one or two or however many, you fill yourself up and you don't want more you can never have that with alcohol because however many drinks you drink it wears off and creates the desire for the next one
1: and how long does it take to wear off
2: it takes so the further the alcoholic drink will start wearing off after about 20 minutes so what people we usually find is they might have a drink or two and they'll feel kind of relaxed and that will start to wear off and start to be replaced with an unpleasant anxious... Obviously, it does depend on how much you've drunk. If you've had a dozen drinks or so, it's going to last longer. And also, it does differ for individuals. But this this residual feeling carries on through the next 36 hours, usually. It peaks and then sort of tails off, but it's there for quite a long period afterwards. But it can happen either because people have dreamed drink, like they have a drink and it wears off, and that night they want another one, or they fall asleep and they wake up the next morning feeling unpleasant. It's all part of the same process. And that's why So this is like the, at its simplest, why there's always kind of that tension with moderation, why it's inherently difficult after you pass a certain point, because when you start drinking, your brain doesn't make that connection. You have a glass or two of wine, it wears off, it feels unpleasant, but you don't even think about it, and still less do you start wanting another glass of wine to get rid of it. But over the years when you learn that, that's what it creates. It creates that desire. Now, the problem is what you learn cannot be unlearned. Say you've never encountered the concept of mathematics before. Okay, you're an intelligent person. I could sit down, I could teach you one, two, three, and four, the concept of numbering, and I could teach you that two plus two equals four, and you'd get that fairly quickly. Okay, so that would be fairly easy for me to teach it to you. I could never unteach it, Once you've learned it, you've learned it for life because it is an actual simple fact. That's the problem with alcohol and any addiction. When you learn to make that connection between the withdrawal and the taking another drug to relieve the withdrawal, you cannot go back to that take it or leave it stage. The take it or leave it stage with every drug is once and once only. and When gone, it can't be returned to.
1: Yeah. You know what's interesting that I was thinking of, which is why I asked how long it took to wear off is I used to drink obviously a bottle of wine a night, but I drank fairly quickly. Like pretty much when my glass was empty, I immediately refilled it. And I remember vividly sitting on my couch and my husband who always kind of wanted me, didn't want me to stop drinking, but wanted me to drink less
3: Less, um, yeah,
1: would say to me like, why don't you stop at two or three glasses? Like, why don't you do that? And of course, by this point, I was pretty buzzed. But I just said to him, I was like, I never want this feeling to end. Like, and I made the association that if I keep drinking, it goes on longer. And whether that was like the dopamine hit or the fuzzy feeling or the having that disconnect or that bubble around me, I mean, I just remember, I never want this feeling to end because he also was like, you pretty much drink until you pass out or it's gone. Like,
3: hmm. yeah. cause I
1: would finish a bottle before I stopped and just be like, I just need one more class. Like, I just that isn't quite enough. I would wait until he went upstairs and like, get up really quickly and open another bottle Let's and get
3: another one. come yeah. down
1: in the morning and sort of hold up bottle number two and like, Squint at it and see whether like a quarter's left. Did I just have yeah. one more glass or is three quarters gone? Just to be like, how bad is my day going to be?
2: Yeah, yeah. This is the problem. And this is the simple physiology. When like, so, so this withdrawal kicks in and it lasts for sort of 36 hours, usually afterwards, although it tails off and it peaks at different times, but it's not a nice feeling when you're drinking regularly. You feel unpleasant most of the time and then you sit down at an evening and you have your glass of wine and it feels lovely. And the reason it feels lovely is because it's removing that unpleasant feeling that it created in the first place. And yeah. you do feel nice and relaxed. You feel exactly how relaxed I feel now because I don't drink. So I feel like that all the time. And of course, you have bad days and the rest of it. Yeah. But your default state is, I'm okay. But of course, humans want to feel good. We don't want to feel bad. You have a few sips of wine. and As it starts to wear off, you, you don't want it to end. You want to keep going with it. And I think this this is maybe a good time to introduce kind of like a, a, a separate concept here because I've kind of explained the basic physiology of alcohol yeah. and alcohol addiction and why it's inherently difficult to moderate after a certain stage. But of course, I'm sure people, astute listeners, will be sat there thinking, well, hang on, that doesn't make sense. I get it when you're drinking. but I So you're saying, I wake up the next day, I have to withdraw. I don't want to drink in the morning. Yes. It's the evening I want to drink. This is where it maybe it's worth building on these concepts a bit more to provide a bit more clarity. Addiction, again, it's not just the physical side; it's that learned behavior. But there's another part of it as well, which I call craving. It's the mental desire for something. Now, a lot of people think about craving, and they just they almost think it's just this thing that happens to you that you can't avoid is just you know you're walking along and suddenly you're craving and you just got to sort of white knuckle it and just grit your teeth and get through it or have a drink but it isn't at all it's a very specific conscious thought process and what happens is the thought of an alcoholic drink enters our mind that does it. that's what we call the trigger. It's seeing someone having a drink or the thought of it popping into your mind or an advert or whatever it might be. Or
1: it being 5pm or. You know, yeah, well, exactly.
2: Home. Yeah, you're going home to, from the day at the office or whatever it might be or closing your laptop down if you're home working and it's, the thought is there. Whether you crave or not depends on what you do with that thought. If you take that thought and fantasize about drinking, Okay, start thinking. Oh, it would be so nice if I had a drink. And going through in your mind, opening the bottle and sipping it, and thinking how wonderful it was, and then teasing yourself with the possibility of having it, thinking, "Oh, you know, I said I wouldn't drink today, but I could just have one. It's so nice." You're to- what you're really doing is torturing yourself. Yes. it's like being really hungry and sitting there with all your favourite food in front of you. You're dangling that carrot in front of your mind. That's what the craving process is. And addiction isn't just about the physical; it's also about the craving process. Okay, a key point here, and this can be a bit, this can be quite it's quite a delicate point. This, but we have some very very specific rules about drinking. If people smoke or vape, it's perfectly normal for them to get up in the morning and light a cigarette or reach for their vape as soon as they're awake. But it's really frowned upon if people drink alcohol, with good reason, because it intoxicates. You can sit there smoking all day and still kind of function as a human being. You couldn't yeah. do that with alcohol because you have been intoxicated. But we have these very specific rules. One of the, what you've described your own drinking, and it's a very, very common cycle for people to get into. They will wake up in the morning. They will feel tired because they haven't slept properly, because the alcohol's interrupted their natural sleeping pattern but they will have that horrible anxious feeling that yeah. comes from the alcohol withdrawal. But, and this is the key, they don't drink in the morning. They don't wake up and think, oh, a glass of wine, how would that be? They don't start craving. They don't crave because they don't even pay a moment's thought to having a glass of wine because they've got to get up, they've got to put the kids together, they've got this to do at work, they've got blah all the day to get through. The withdrawal is there, but the craving isn't. And that comes about from certainty. If you're not going to take a drug, you're far less likely to crave it because it's just not on the menu. And yeah. as I've mentioned, craving is about fantasizing. It's about teasing yourself with, oh, I could just reach out and have a glass of wine. Yeah. But because we don't drink in the morning, the craving isn't there. We drag ourselves through the day. We have lunch, go through the afternoon. But as soon as you close your laptop down or you walk out in the office, that's your drinking time. And that's when the craving kicks in, because then it's, oh, yeah, actually, I can drink at this time, because this is my wine o'clock, whatever it is. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: And I think that also is the habit, right? And Mm. the, like you said, there is no social pressure, but there's a lot of negative associations with drinking in the morning. Even in our own mind, we take it off the table. I mean, even if Mm. you look at any of those, am I an alcoholic? quizzes, they're like, do you drink in the morning? And a lot of people look at that, including myself. And the answer is no. Therefore, I don't have to stop completely. Mm. But like you said, just taking it off the table, deciding that for a period of time, you are not able to drink, you are not going to drink. It stops that debate in your head and lets you move on to other ways of celebrating the end of the day or mm. or relaxing or what else you can order on the menu.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think this is, again, a sort of a separate but very important point to make about moderation. For me, bearing in mind what I do in the alcohol sphere, I think about alcohol probably 90% of my waking hours but I never, cra- I never crave a drink. I never entertain the possibility of having one because I know I'm not going to drink. Yeah. Okay. It makes it very easy for me because when I go to the pub to meet friends, I don't have to agonize over to whether I have a drink or not. I'm just not going to have a drink. I'm going to have an alcohol-free drink. Absolutely fine. It simplifies everything. But if I was moderating, every time I went out, I think, oh, could I have one on this occasion? And then you're thinking about it. And of course, what happens when you're thinking about your craving? You're thinking about what would it taste like? Could I have one on this one occasion? But one of the big things with craving is it stops us engaging in life. Yeah. Because if I'm out with my friends having an alcohol free beer and chatting to them, I'm enjoying their company. If I'm out with my friends having an alcohol free beer, but agonizing about whether to have a real, like a so-called real beer, an alcohol you know, like a normal alcohol versus a non-alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not listening to what they're saying. I'm not concentrating on what they're saying. I'm just taken up with this unpleasant internal debate. And this is what a lot of people find. And this is one of the reasons, unfortunately, it feeds into this belief that we need alcohol to enjoy ourselves. Because let me give you an example. Going on vacation is enjoyable. Okay, I'm going to Spain in a couple of weeks. I'm really looking forward to it. I won't be at work. I won't have to cook or clean, I'll just be sitting around all day, all the meals cooked for me, nice food, nice food. there's nothing to dislike about it, okay, it's, it's going to be really nice. But if I'm not paying any attention to the sun, the relaxation, the food, if I'm not paying any attention to any of it, and instead I'm taken up with an unpleasant internal debate about whether to have alcohol or not, I might as well be sat in a prison for all the enjoyment I'm getting out of the holiday. Yeah. And this is the problem with craving. When you're craving, and not enjoying yourself. If I then have a drink, there's two ways to end. Well, there's lots of ways you can end the craving. One of them is to have a drink because, of course, you're not going to crave something while you're having it. Yeah. And this feeds into people's experience because so what they find is, yeah, I don't enjoy myself when I'm not drinking. I don't enjoy being with my friends. I don't enjoy vacations. I don't really enjoy anything unless I have a drink in my hand. But it's a placebo at that point. It's just an obsession. And the easiest way to end that obsession and to allow them to engage in life again is to just have the drink. But going into moderation, this is the problem with it. When alcohol is on the menu, no matter how rarely or however moderately you decide to have it, the fact that it's even there means you will be thinking about it and obsessing about it and much more likely to crave it.
0: Yeah. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Yeah, and
1: also like the minute you have that first drink, it is very, very difficult not to have a second. Even if Mm. you manage to not have a second, you're sort of, God, I didn't quite get to the point that I wanted to get to. And I always think of alcohol like a magnet where the closer you are to your last drink, the stronger the pull is Very
2: good. on yeah.
1: you. And mm-hmm. as you get further away, the magnet gets less strong and less yeah. powerful, and it's easier to not drink.
2: That's a really good analogy. I'm going <laughs> yeah, to use that. Use it. <laughs> really good one. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think it's as well, it's worth mentioning as well because it's what you said about it doesn't quite do it for you. A lot of this is about what people want from moderation. And this is another thing I think it's worth just saying to people. If you want to moderate, theoretically you can, because nobody forces you to drink and nobody can physically stop you from drinking if you want to. So it's absolutely within your power to drink as little or as much as you want. The problem is with it, if that was that simple, why aren't you doing it already? Yeah. Because what people often think with moderation is, you know, I've kind of spoken about it a bit, I can't bear to stop, but I can't bear to continue as I am. So I have to find some kind of middle ground. And what people hope for from moderation is is what you described right at the beginning, that. Oh, I have a drink. Do you have a glass of wine and you sip it and you really enjoy it and then it's gone and you just don't think about it again for another week or another hour or another fortnight yeah. or however long it's going to be? Or you have one or two and really enjoy them and then you're finished and you go on to enjoy the rest of your evening or the rest of it. That's what we hope for it. Really nonchalantly having a drink or not taking, not having one and we're not really fussed either way. That's not the reality of moderation. It is all about constantly obsessing about whether or not to drink. Yeah. Having a drink, really wanting it, it goes far too quickly. You desperately want the next one, but you're not going to have it, so you grit your teeth and resist it. That's the reality of moderation. It's not possible to go back to that nonchalant take it take-it-or-leave-it stage. Because it's a learned response. It, yeah, exactly, yeah. And it, it, it's when you get to that stage, it has to be effort to maintain it. Yeah. And what people find is, okay, they may be spending less time inebriated and with hangovers, but they're obsessing about alcohol as much as they ever did because they're constantly thinking, is it a drinking day? Isn't it a drinking day? Can I have one? Can I have two? Whatever yeah. it is. And it's exhausting.
1: Yeah. And it's it doesn't exhausting
2: take much for you have a particularly bad day and you just think, I can't be bothered with this anymore. Who wants yeah. to live like this? And you just drink, you drink away.
1: I know people will say to me, I just, some of the times when they go back to drinking, they say, I'm just tired of thinking about it. Like I'm mm. tired of debating this. And, and the sad reality is, but it's actually positive that the further, the way to stop thinking about alcohol all the time is to get further away from it. Absolutely. I don't spend and haven't for years and years, probably since my first six months, spend all day thinking about missing a drink or wanting a drink or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I just don't think about it like you, even though I talk about it all the time, because that pull is a lot less strong. And I remember Mm -hmm. before I quit drinking, I had all the, oh my God, I've got to stop. I've got to take a break. I need more willpower. What's wrong with me? And would make these resolutions that I was going to not drink for a period of time or not drink tonight or not drink this week or until the weekend. And I would get about four days and then Mm. I'd be like, oh, fuck it. Fine. I'm buying a bottle of wine. Of course, finish it. And Mm. then I get four days again and do do the same thing. And then I'd say to myself, well, drinking two bottles a week is way better than drinking seven or eight, which is not incorrect. Gotcha. But really I good. never got out of that withdrawal cycle. I never got to reset my ba- my baseline level of happiness. Mm. I was not wrong that I was less happy, more irritated, more anxious when I wasn't drinking, when I wasn't 30 days out because my body was in withdrawal and I was constantly craving it.
2: Mm. This is another myth as well about moderation. People think with moderation, you get the good without the bad. Now, a few simple physiological and chemical facts about alcohol. Even one drink interrupts your your brain chemistry and causes a feeling of anxiety. I completely get, I agree that if you have one glass, it's going to be a lot, you're going to have a lot less anxiety than if you have two bottles, yes. but you still get that anxiety. That destruction to your brain chemistry has an impact on your sleeping patterns, which is why drinkers are always tired, always, well, you can be in bed for 12 hours and still get up feeling absolutely exhausted. One glass of wine impacts your natural sleeping pattern and makes you feel tired the next day. It increases your heart rate because your brain co- pumps those stimulants in to counter the sedating effects of the alcohol. When the alcohol wears off, your heart rate goes up. That's why when people wake up in the night, They can't sleep, they feel anxious, and quite often their heart's beating really, really fast. Now, simple facts about heartbeat, when your heart rate goes up, your brain tells you to stop, slow down, and rest. Okay, simple physiological fact, the faster your heart's going, the more your brain's screaming at you to stop and slow down and rest. That's why exercise is hard. One glass of wine accelerates your heart rate and robs you of energy, makes you feel tired and lethargic. I completely agree that the less you drink, the less damaging it is. But people need to understand it's not, oh, if I can only drink two drinks at a time, I'll have all the good without the bad. You get the bad, absolutely you do. You just get it in smaller doses.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What's interesting, you were talking about interrupting sleep and, and I did an episode specifically about sleep, but I got some stats that I thought were so interesting. The stats say that less than one drink for women decreases Mm -hmm. your sleep quality by 9.3%. One drink for women decreases your sleep quality by 24%, a single drink. Mm. And more than one drink for women decreased your sleep quality by 40%. And of course, I would drink four to six drinks Mm. a night. When I stopped drinking, I probably had not had a good night's
2: sleep in years. Yeah, it has such a big impact on people. What people? A lot of people think with sleep, you lie down, you go unconscious, you come to, and you're good to go. Sleep's much more complicated than that. We humans go through sleep cycles, different cycle, cycles of sleep. People probably heard of these. So there's, there's something called deep sleep, whereas the name suggests you're very deeply unconscious. But then on the other end of the scale, there's something called REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement. And the reason it's called that is because your eyes flicker under the, your eyelids. They've attached sensors to people's brains and monitored them. And it's really interesting. It's when we dream, REM sleeps when we dream and our brain lights up almost as if we're fully awake. Now we don't, again, like the homeostasis in the brain, there's a lot we as humans don't understand about sleep, but it doesn't take a great stretch of the imagination to know. If you want to feel good, you need to go through these naturally occurring sleep cycles. Now, when you take alcohol, because it is a sedative, your brain can't get you into REM sleep. Because remember, it has to go up almost as if to when you're fully conscious. But with a load of sedative, depressant inside you, it can't do it. Drinkers, on average, get two rounds of REM sleep. Non-drinkers average six or seven it has this massive impact when you're REM sleep, and of course after five hours or so when the alcohol wears off, you can't sleep at all. Yeah. But it has this massive, massive impact. REM sleep, they've they've done tests on rats where they've starved them of REM sleep and they've been dead within a few weeks. They've tried to do human trials on it where they monitor people and when they go into REM sleep they wake them up. And and most of the time they can't complete the t- trials because people become very depressed, very disorientated, and they they take themselves off the trials. So, it yeah. has this massive impact on our mental health, but most people just don't even realize it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things, right? When you're that I've heard about either in prisons or in other situations in terms of torture, that they keep people up really for like,
2: days yeah. on end. Mm, it's horrible. And it, uh, of course, and this is almost also as well with moderation, it's almost a catch 22 because how much because what we 're really saying is alcohols talk too much power, I want my power I want my decision back i don 't want to want to be forced to do something, but how much power something's got over us is directly related to how much we want it. The more you want something, the more you will give up for it. Now, the reason I have no problem with alcohol anymore, and I have no desire for it is because i don 't want it anymore mm-hmm. if you retain. A desire for it, you're automatically going to have problems trying to moderate. But why would you want to moderate unless you have the desire for it? So, do you see what I mean? It's kind of like to be completely in control of it. You need to not want it anymore. And if you yeah. don't want it anymore, you will be like me. I have no. I don't want to moderate. If but someone invented- incre-
1: yeah, you don't want to moderate anymore. But for a lot of people, it's almost impossible to imagine not wanting to drink. Anymore.
2: Yeah. I see it as almost like a prison. Okay. And each bar on that prison wall is a false belief about alcohol. Hmm. I need it to enjoy. I, I enjoy nights out more with a drink. I won't enjoy a holiday properly without alcohol. I can't go through. I can't enjoy Thanksgiving without drinking. I need it to relax at the end of the day. I need it to de stress. All of these, they're all false okay, and they all form the 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 bars of your prison. And for me, quitting drinking, a lot of people, they say, make a list of all the reasons you want to quit and then have your last drink or finish your last drink and then grit your teeth and keep concentrating on all the reasons you want to stop. That's fine if it works, but for me, it's far more, it's probably less rational, but it's far more effective to make a list of all the reasons you want to drink and then start analysing them and thinking, hang on, is this right? Because let's, for example, going on holiday, going on vacation, Alcohol is a sedative. It just makes you feel slightly dulled. How does, that, how does that add to your enjoyment of a holiday? Yeah. How does being tired and anxious add to your enjoyment of a holiday? For me, that was the far, far more effective way of quitting, was to actually start tearing down those bars one by one. And, and starting, starting
1: to disprove it based on experience.
2: Yeah, it's almost like how you accumulate rubbish in your attic or your garage, and yeah. it's just stuff that just sits there. It's almost like a decluttering exercise. Imagine all each box of stuff in your attic or your garage are your beliefs about drinking. One day you, you need to just pull everything out and examine it. Yeah. Is this correct? Is this useful? Is it good? If not, I'm chucking it away and having done with it. When you go through that process for me, it wasn't necessarily about going out and disproving it. It was about analyzing it rationally and thinking, hang on, is this true? And how is it true? Let's look at all the physiological, the chemical, the psychological processes here. My experience was I didn't enjoy holidays without alcohol. But what I began to realize is I wasn't going to enjoy anything if I was sat there wanting something I couldn't have. And actually learning to let go of it and enjoying the moment and enjoying feeling rested and relaxed and all the rest of it. Of course, I enjoy holidays. I used to enjoy them as a child. And a lot of this, it's yeah, right. You used to enjoy them as a child, exactly. Yeah, it's for me. So a lot of people saying like sobriety is like learning a new skill. I would qualify that and say it's not about learning a new skill. It's about relearning a skill we used to have. Yeah, that we forgot how to use when we stopped drinking because when we were youngsters, we used to go out to parties. We used to go out. With our friends, we used to go on holiday, we used to enjoy yeah. Thanksgiving and Christmas, we enjoyed all of it. We didn't need alcohol. It's only when you introduce the drug that you become reliant on it.
1: Yeah, there's so much in there that you said that I completely agree with.
0: Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the sobriety starter kit. The sobriety starter kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework. I work through with my private coaching clients but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching and the sobriety starter kit is ready waiting and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30 day challenge or a one day at a time approach. Instead, It's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course.
1: Which I love. That's why I love having you on, because your approach is something I... I completely relate to the way I think about it is to some extent with the cue craving reward cycle. We're like Pavlov's dogs, right? Once we decide yeah. to drink, even people will yeah. say to me, once I finally stop debating and say, screw it, I'm going to buy a bottle of wine, I'm immediately relieved and relaxed. Yeah. And the reason is it's like Pavlov's dogs, right? You start to salivate when mm-hmm. you hear
3: the sound,
1: not when you actually even get to it. And part of that, I think, is good news, because it means it's a conditioned response, which means you can deconstruct it, right? You can condition yourself to have a different response to a different stimulus, which is why some people then start craving tea, or I had a client who had a like ice cream sandwich every day at three (laughs) o'clock. And she was like, my brother came over and ate my ice cream sandwich. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? Whatever it is. Mm, But the other thing in terms of realizing through experience that the beliefs you have are not true. One of the reasons I like women to go through a hundred days without alcohol is not only you're getting rid of that magnet and you're like Mm. resetting your level of happiness and calm and dopamine. And you're like, oh my God, I haven't felt this much energy in ages. But you also have to go through a holiday, a vacation, Mm. date nights, a birthday, and kind of realize like, okay, I thought this was awful. The first 20 minutes were, I was anxious, whatever. Then it got a lot easier. Then I was more present. I loved waking up the next morning without a hangover Mm. you know when a client of mine went to hawaii with a girlfriend and she said yeah when she was having a drink at dinner or two i was jealous but then she came home and she had more because that's what you do
3: Mm -hmm. and
1: then the next morning we were supposed to go on this gorgeous hike in hawaii and she was like what i'm tired i'm not going to do that my friend went by herself and said it was like the most amazing experience of the entire vacation and realized she would have missed out on that. Like such a natural high, such a memory, such a moment Mm -hmm. where she was proud of herself. And you don't usually get any of those. You get your dopamine hit, you get all that stuff. You don't get that feeling of pride and wonder and all the good stuff.
2: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So over here, we have dry January. People are encouraged to not drink for January. And I was at work in January, and someone said to one of my colleagues, do you want to go out for a drink tonight? And he was like, no, 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 I'm not going out. I'm doing dry January. And I thought, well, what are you teaching yourself other than how miserable it is not to drink? Because the point is not I'm going to stop drinking and stop living for a month. I'll just sit there and wait for 30 days to disappear. You've got to go out and say, okay, well, okay, I believe that I don't enjoy socializing without alcohol. Let's give it a go. Let me go out and not drink alcohol and see if it's enjoyable or not enjoyable. You have to put things to the test. And I think that's absolutely right. That's why you need that period because you have to feed into, I'll try this and see if I enjoy it. And surprise, surprise, of course we do enjoy it. And that's the thing. And that's why I think it's so incredibly empowering when you quit. And I think this is one of the other problems with model. well, in fact, Two major problems with moderation is that it perpetuates two myths about alcohol. One is that it's necessary to enjoy certain situations, because if you're saying you want to moderate, you're saying, "I can't go through these situations without the drink. They're more enjoyable with alcohol. I need them to enjoy myself." You're perpetuating that myth. But more importantly, you're perpetuating a very damaging myth that says alcohol is not addictive. It is addictive. It's physically addictive. I've talked about the psychological chemical processes that mean it is addictive. You wouldn't try moderating methamphetamine or heroin. We only talk about moderating. You you wouldn't even talk about moderating cigarettes. We only talk about moderating alcohol. And that comes back to this completely false and very dangerous belief that alcohol isn't addictive because, as I say, you don't moderate things that are addictive. You stay away from them.
1: Yeah. And it's just because society, right? Puts alcohol on a pedestal and doesn't really want to talk about how addictive it is. Right. That's where they put the impetus on the individual by saying, no, when to say when or mm-hmm. drink responsibly. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's just not possible without white knuckling it for a short period of time and then saying, fuck it. If you've had enough exposure to alcohol, right? And if you live in a society that drinks a lot or have a family that drinks a lot or hang out with a friend group that drinks a lot, which of course I did, most drinkers mm. do, mm. you're going to consume more and more and more and rationalize binge drinking and then you're then you're sort of down the path, right?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it's interesting because... Or is it something that like 87% of people drink? It's seen as incredibly normal, but put it into some, like some context. Imagine, imagine if you were on holiday with a group of people who, who just never come across alcohol. We're going to an imaginary planet here where alcohol doesn't exist. They're all human beings, but they just don't drink alcohol. They wake up in the morning. They wake up fresh and happy and chatty. They've got energy, they're bouncing around all day enjoying themselves. Maybe they have a lunch and a lie down after that, but they're buoyant and happy all the way through. Imagine then that they meet someone who drinks alcohol. This person wakes up tired and grouchy and a bit miserable, sits around waiting until they can have a drink, whereupon they become slightly more animated, but not much so. And as they drink through the day, they become increasingly intoxicated and eventually fall asleep. Imagine what they think of that person. And yet because we all do it, we think it's normal, but it isn't normal. It's not normal to have your life centered. You. When you say to people, would you want to go on holiday without alcohol? The answer is usually no. I, you know, I wouldn't enjoy it. But what they're really saying is I can't, I can't enjoy an inherently enjoyable situation without my drug. Yeah. It's fundamentally concerning, but because 87% of people are in that boat. We think it's completely normal, but it isn't normal at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things someone said to me is like, imagine the happiest you've ever been, the happiest time Mm. in your life. And for me, I, when I was 16, 17, went on six-week backpacking trips with 30 kids my age. We broke up into groups of 10. We went a week in every place and just incredible views and sitting around talking and having deep conversations. And I was like, well, you feel known and accepted. And I was like, that was the happiest
3: I've ever Mm -hmm. been.
1: And then you get to college and you're like, I can't have deep conversations unless I'm drunk. I can't have that connection or feel that just like tingly awe and Mm -hmm. overcome with emotion. And it's just kind of sad. And part of it's the culture we live in.
2: Very much so. Yeah, it's absolutely. It is because when you hit a certain age, alcohol is introduced. And really, from that point on, like I say, you start to lose the skill you instinctively knew as a child, which is how to enjoy everything without drinking. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But I
1: do also think it's like once you have a drink, then that physical reaction takes over where you keep thinking that
2: yeah that's the problem it is this is the thing every drink creates the desire for the next one yeah it really is that simple so it's inherently difficult like i said before theoretically of course you can moderate because no one makes you drink and no one can make you stop it's within your power to drink exactly as much or as little as you want why wouldn't you naturally do that well the reason you wouldn't naturally do it It's because as your brain becomes increasingly proficient at countering the alcohol, you need more to get that, in inverted commas, buzz. You feel worse Mm. when it wears off. It starts to wear off quicker and quicker, so you need another one to replace it. It might have been when you were 16 years old, you'd have a drink and you feel nice and relaxed and floaty for an hour. That's not how it is when you're in your mid-40s. It gives you a buzz for about five or 10 minutes and then wears off leaving a very unpleasant feeling that requires another one to get rid of that unpleasant feeling yeah and there's no getting away with it that's why it's that's why you don't do it now the reason you don't do it now is because it's not the natural thing to do it requires an incredible amount of concentration patience and constant internal debate about drinking or not drinking but more importantly it's all about constantly resisting a drink yeah as opposed to just one decision don't drink anymore i'm done And some of the easier ways to take it off
1: the table is, of course, to tell people, oh, Mm -hmm. no, I don't drink or I used to drink, but I stopped or I'm taking a hundred day break where it is a lot harder to go out and then say, screw it and pick up a drink. If you've told them that a lot harder than if you just said, oh, I'm not going to drink tonight or I have the gym in the morning because then it's easier To go back and forth. But when I was in sort of early mid sobriety, I used to text my friends before I went to a thing and just say, I'm on a health kick. I'm not drinking. Even if I asked for a glass of wine, don't, don't give it to me. And I'd be there for like two hours watching everyone drink. I mean, this is when I'm 15 days alcohol free and I'd be like, all right, fine, give me a drink. And my friend was like, no. And I was like, I can't believe you're saying (laughs) no to me, but thank God. Yeah. Here's a question I get all the time. And I had it too. A, people do take amounts of time off, right? They take three months off or 30 days, or for me, it was even a year or people when they're pregnant, right? And they think, all right, I'm reset. Now I'm going to be able to moderate now. It will be easy because if I stopped for three months, clearly I'm fixed, right? That's what we all want. Why does that not work?
2: It doesn't work for several reasons. The most important being what I've discussed before, that when a drink wears off, it causes an unpleasant feeling. And through repeatedly drinking, what you learn is that another alcoholic drink will take, will get rid of that unpleasant feeling. And in that way, your subconscious learns that when one drink wears off, that feeling kicks in and it interprets that as I want another drink. Every time a drink wears off it causes a desire for the next one. Now you can stop drinking for a week, a month, a year, a decade, fifty years. If it so I've stopped now, I'm eight years sober, okay? Imagine if I lived another of uh, forty two years and made it fifty years without drinking, so I'm a hundred and something now, okay. If I had an alcoholic drink, it would wear off. My brain would still counter it because that's what it does. It tries to counter the stating effects of the alcohol. When the alcohol wore off, there would be an unpleasant feeling. And my brain, my 100-year-old brain would say, oh, I remember this from 50 years ago, and I know just how to get rid of it, have another drink. As soon as it started to wear off, I would want another drink. Because as I say, it's learned. It's the same as the maths. I could teach you maths and 50 years down the line, you would still remember it. You can't forget it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And the second time that I that I stopped drinking now six and a half years ago, it's because I took that year off, telling myself then I could moderate, went out to a dinner with my husband, said, Oh, I'm just gonna have a glass of wine, immediately wanted another, Mm -hmm. stopped after two, but it was not easy. Within the next weekend said, Oh, we should just have some wine. It's Friday night, we have a Baby, which is counterintuitive, but like we need to relax. And within a month, I had was having a bottle of wine at home every night. I tried to stop during those twenty two months. It's hard Mm -hmm. to stop or take a break, and finally got to the point where my anxiety was really bad. I was having trouble coping. I felt doomed. I felt like I was going to screw up my life and my health, and it was going to be my own fault. That's when I hired my coach. But what stopped me from going back is it's like I had two experiences when you when you talk about a learned behavior and, and proving or disproving something. The second time I stopped, I knew that it was the alcohol that what got me to that low point twice where I was like, this mm-hmm. is really bad. I can't cope my anxiety's off the chart. I'm worried for my mental health and my physical health. The second time I did it, I was like, oh, it's not my job and it's not my willpower. It's the alcohol. I'm sort of like I've burned <clears throat> my hand on that hot stove enough mm. to know where it goes. And I don't want any part of that.
2: No, it's, it, it can be incredibly problematic for people because when they're drinking regularly, it feels like alcohol is the only thing that is the icing on the cake or that bit of relaxation or pleasure they get from life because of course it's when we're drinking that we we get the relief that we feel good and it's yeah. when it wears off that we feel bad we keep seeing alcohol as a friend and we logically we think well if I stop it's going to get worse and worse because that anxiety is just going to be with me all the time but to a degree you have to trust the system yes. and appreciate that it's a powerful sedative a bottle of wine a night is a lot and it will be having a massive impact on your sleep, your REM sleep, your mental health and your anxiety levels. And as it goes back to normal, as your mental health, as your brain chemistry goes back to normal, as you start getting decent sleep again, as your heart rate lowers, all of that, your part where you are normally goes up and up and up. The anxiety drops. You just feel better about everything. So, To a degree, you do need to trust the system during those first few crucial days. You're absolutely right that there's no reset. It's not like you can stop for a bit and go back to had you never drunk. I see it more like that's how often people see it. I think it's more analogous to say, imagine trying to move a massive, heavy boulder. It's incredibly hard to get it going, but when you get it moving, you get a bit of momentum. And then in the end, you're almost just giving it the odd shove here or there to keep it going. That's what sobriety is like. You learn it and it gets easier and easier and easier. And then if you decide to drink again, you're stopping pushing that boulder and it's yeah. going to stop and you've got to go through all that effort to do it again. Yeah. Or, uh, another way of talking about it is is drinking is like a road. You're traveling further and further along this path. Stopping doesn't put you back to the beginning. It just means you stop at the side of the path and stop for a bit. As soon as you start, you go exactly back to where you started and you carry on from there. Usually it's not exactly like that. People like yourself that have one or two. And it, it, and also it lose-lose at that point because they either go back to immediately to where they were drinking before, but even if they do go in and have one or two and then think, oh, God, I've got to stop and put the effort into stopping, next time they say to themselves, oh, I only had two last time, I only had one, so I've proven I can moderate. Yes. So that's absolutely fine. And it becomes easier. You know, the more it works, the easier it is to have that drink because you think, oh, it's working for me. I'm not getting really drunk. I'm not drinking every like night. bad so is what? happening. Yeah, yeah. It makes it easier and easier to do it. And of course, it's only a matter of time before you come on stuff again.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I interviewed Anna Lemke, who wrote Dopamine Nation.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she's amazing. I'll link to that episode. And reading that book's amazing too. But one of the things she said was anyone who comes to her, whether it's for alcohol or pot or something else, She says, I recommend they go on a dopamine fast right, for 30 days because alcohol keeps having your brain hitting that high. And Mm -hmm. like you talked about the anxiety, she's like, your body compensates by lowering your natural level of dopamine in your body. You are less happy and more discontent and more anxious when you're not drinking because Mm -hmm. your natural level of dopamine is lower. And it takes at least 30 days to reset to that baseline level of contentment and happiness without the substance. And I mm. I completely experienced that. I remember walking into work on a random Tuesday and being like the birds were flying up and the sun was out and the mountain was out. And I was like, oh, my God, I am so happy at first thing in the morning, whereas I used to walk in being like, I need to quit my job, this is
2: miserable, I can't handle it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's amazing how people, everything gets blamed apart from the alcohol. And what you need to bear in mind is when you when you're going through that chemical imbalance after drinking, everything looks worse, everything looks unpleasant. And then you have a drink and you feel slightly better. Again, people start to get fooled into thinking, it's my job, it's my marriage, it's my house, it's this, it's this, it's this that's the problem. Because when I'm not drinking, that problem looks really overpowering and unpleasant, and when I have a drink, it's okay, I feel all right about it. But what they're missing is it's not that the problem's big and alcohol's helping them to deal with it. The problem's not big, it's the alcohol withdrawal that's making it look worse. Yeah. And then they have the drink, and it puts it back into the perspective it should have been in or would have been in had they never had an alcoholic drink in the first place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it may be a problem, but at least then you're clear and you're not less happy and more anxious. You're able to deal with it with more emotional stability. I could talk to you forever, but is there anything else on moderation? You think you want to make a point if someone's listening to this?
2: No, no. I make no bones of the fact that I think People, I think it's inherently difficult. If you're going to try moderation, I don't live your life for you. You you need to do your own thing and make love for your own experiences. If you think it's a viable option, try it. But I would say just bear these points in mind because what you're really looking for is just how to move forward with your life in the best possible way and don't necessarily be bogged down in the thought that it has to be moderation because I can't bear the thought of not drinking again because that's how all of us felt at one point or another. And actually discovering life after alcohol is what it's all about. If you feel you need to do it, then, then do it because that's your prerogative too. But certainly don't beat yourself up and think it's a personal failing if it doesn't work, because hopefully I've explained some of the reasons why it is inherently difficult, not because of you, but by the, because of the chemical nature of the drug.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just exhausting and Mm. disheartening and it keeps you in that craving cycle. And I always suggest just try a longer period of time without alcohol and Mm. see what your baseline is. And then you can compare it to how you felt when you were trying to moderate, when you were in that drinking cycle, because it's going to be night and day once Mm. you get far enough away from it. Tell us people want to follow up with you they want to read your books like how can people find you and get in touch with you
2: Probably the best place is the website which is our there's a contact page there if you want to contact me there's the books are on there there's a an online course which basically has everything that's in the two books kind of put into a, a sort of interactive book almost it's not a, it's not a course of videos it's actually sort of interactive in fact it, If you go on the website, you can go and the first seven modules are there. So you can sort of try it and see what you think of it. And then that's got links to my Instagram, Facebook, all the rest of it. So that's probably the best place to start.
1: That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I love this discussion. I always learn a lot.
2: My pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast.